Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Welcome, everyone, to episode 15 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, and our theme for today is spiritual growth, what it is, why it's important, how it happens, and how it doesn't happen. And the reason I've chosen this topic is because something I've hinted at or even explicitly stated a few times these past two months is that I really do believe that God wants to use this strange and uncertain time in our life to bring about some measure of spiritual growth in our life. And throughout the years, Christians have given this interchange that God works in the human heart many different names. It's been called sanctification, spiritual growth, Christian formation, to name just a few. But these phrases all point to the same truth, which is that God wants to form us, body, mind, and soul, deeper and deeper into people whose heart and actions resemble that of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul calls this the full stature of Christ. We are to grow, he says, into this full stature of Christ. And so how does that happen? How does it not happen? What does it look like? This is part one in a two-part series on spiritual growth, meaning we can't answer all those questions today, but we can get the conversation started. A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. Here ends the reading. Now, I am very aware that on the surface, this is a very strange passage to start with, but the reason we begin with this passage is because this idea of spiritual growth is the issue at stake in the passage. In fact, it's really the reason Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia. And I'm not sure if you noticed, but Paul is pretty livid. I'm astonished, he writes, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, he says, but there are some confusing you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Like I said, Paul is livid. He is angry because what's at stake for him is the nature of the gospel and what it means for you and I to root our lives in that gospel and be changed. And whereas one group in Galatia is teaching that we're justified before God, and that we become spiritually mature by performing the works of the law, Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to insist 
that one is justified solely through the grace of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I think that's something we all need to hear and to think seriously about in any conversation we have about spiritual growth or the undertaking of spiritual practice. And I say this only because we are in a culture defined by the value of productivity. We love control. We love hard work. We love doing it ourselves. And what that means is that most of us, whenever we decide to get really serious about our faith, whenever we get really serious about spiritual growth, I notice that most of us only have one plan. We roll up our sleeves and we try really, really hard to be more like Jesus. But in the long run, relying on effort, trying really, really hard to be like Jesus is a pretty poor long-term strategy because, as I see it, there are only two possible outcomes. We'll either fail and feel shame, or worse, we'll convince ourselves we've succeeded and we'll feel spiritual pride. But either way, we have spiritually regressed, right? Because whether we're celebrating our spiritual success or lamenting what spiritual failures we imagine ourselves to be, ironically, in both cases, the focus is on us and not on the God who saves us and who wants to teach us how to rely on him for everything. Because if we listen carefully to what Paul says in the opening part of his letter, it's Not that we need to get our act together and free ourselves from whatever mess we're in, but that Jesus Christ has already given himself to set us free from what Paul calls the present evil age. And that's why spiritual growth is not so much about something we do as it is about us learning how to root our lives and something that God has already done on our behalf. And so spiritual growth is not something we do. It's about rooting our lives in something that Christ has already done for us. It's not about pleasing God, but rather about being intimate with God, who we're told in Scripture is already very well pleased with us. And so as you think about what it means for you to be committed to your own spiritual development or unfolding or growth, here is the lie I want us to avoid. That we change through our own willpower. That the way to become a love-spreading difference maker is through raw effort and the exertion of our will. Because whenever we talk about God's work in the human heart, we are always talking about a profound mystery. We're talking about a process that God initiates. We're talking about growing into an identity that we already have and that cannot be taken away. We're talking about a life of greater surrender to God and of greater willingness But that's not the same as a life of greater willfulness. After all, our will, our plans, our ideas, our willfulness, what Paul calls the old Adam or a life according to the flesh, this is always the very thing that we are asked to lay down at the foot of the cross 
as we seek to follow Jesus. And so whenever we talk about growing into the gospel, we're talking about a paradox and a mystery. Because on the one hand, we are already saved. As I like to remind people, whenever I baptize a baby, I don't anoint them with oil and say, you are now sealed by the Holy Spirit pending good behavior. No, what I say is, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and you are marked as Christ's own forever. Period. And that's why there's something so final about baptism, something that is utterly and miraculously complete. In fact, as I often remind people, twice in the Bible, God cries out, it is finished. The first time is in the book of Genesis after God creates the world, but the second time is from the cross. With arms of love outstretched, Jesus says, it is finished. And the point is that from God's perspective, both the creation and our redemption are finished in the mind of God. They are complete, total, perfect, unable to fail. And in a sense, that will always be the deepest truth about your life, the deepest truth about your soul in the eyes of God. It is finished. You were totally and fully righteous and justified in the eyes of God. You may present yourself to God and to one another as a people already approved, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15. And you know what? This remains true even if we don't get better from whatever addictions and bad habits and character defects we may need to grow out of. And so on the one hand, it is finished. But on the other hand, the other side of the mystery, we are invited and even commanded to grow into the salvation that we have already received. And I think 1 Peter captures this paradox perfectly when he writes, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into your salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, you were already saved, he says, assuming you've tasted something of the goodness of God, assuming you long for healing and salvation and peace. That longing, the Bible says, is the very proof that you've already got it. In other words, you are saved, you're home free. But like a newborn infant who is just as much a human being and a member of the human race as his or her parents are, you've got to grow into it. In other words, a two-year-old child is just as human as we are, but no one would argue with the fact that he still needs to grow into that humanity that he already possesses, that he needs to develop and become an adult. And in a sense, it's kind of like that with us. Our need is to see and receive and feel gratitude for a gift we already have. And so with all that said, here's my working definition of Christian formation or spiritual growth. It is a process, and that word process is so important, but it is a process whereby you and I become more like Jesus from the inside out. And the reason that is important is because 
Well, that is the main reason God created us. God created us to be people filled with Jesus's life and Jesus's love and Jesus's power and Jesus's joy. And because those are all things we need more of in our life, we all need more of those things. When it comes to our walk with Christ, the focus of our life always needs to be on our heart. I really believe that, that the best way to have an impact on someone else's relationship with God is always to focus on deepening our own relationship with God. Because before Jesus ever says a word to Peter about feeding his sheep or tending his lambs in John chapter 21, he first asks Peter a question. Do you love me? And so in the Christian life, the first question we always need to ask ourselves is the same question that Jesus asked Peter, do I love him? Do I love him? Because that's really what Christian spirituality is all about. It's what we as a church are about. It's about learning to love Jesus with our whole heart and then having that love mold our heart so that in time, our heart actually comes to resemble the heart of God. This is how Henry Noun puts it, and I quote, he says that in our world of loneliness and despair, there is an enormous need for men and women who know the heart of God, a heart that forgives, that cares, that reaches out and wants to heal. In that heart, there is no suspicion, no vindication, no resentment, and not even a tinge of hatred. It is a heart that only wants to give love and to receive love in response. And so here's the question I want us to consider today. How might God be asking you to open a gift that you already have, a gift that you cannot lose, and a gift that can actually reveal the deepest truth about your life? Like newborn infants, Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into your salvation. How is it that we grow into something that has been ours from the foundation of the world? That's the riddle of Christian formation. And so as you ponder that question, I want to end with a story. This is a story about greyhounds, those dogs that race around the track following that mechanical rabbit. And the following is a conversation between a reporter and a very successful greyhound racer that quits racing at the very height of his career when he was the most successful. And the reporter does not understand why the dog quit racing. And so the reporter goes to the dog's home and he asks him, so why'd you quit? Is it because you got too old? No, no, said the dog. I still had a little bit of race left in me. So you must not have won enough races. He said, no, I won over a million dollars for my owner. So they treated you badly? Is that why you quit? God knows, said the dog. They treated us like kings as long as we were winning. And so the reporter, clearly frustrated, asked him, then why on earth would you quit racing at the very height of your career? And this is what the dog said. He said, I quit the day that I found out that what I was chasing was not really a rabbit. That's when I quit. All that running, 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 and that thing I was chasing, 
it wasn't even real. When we talk about spiritual growth, all we're really talking about is learning how to root our life and our heart in what is real. And at the end of the day, I think we all have to take responsibility for what it is that we think is real, for what it is that really gives our life value and worth and significance. And for me, to be a Christian and to put our faith in Christ is to root our life deeper and deeper in the reality that we are not what we do, we're not what other people say about us, we're not what we feel We're not how we look. We're not our portfolio. We're not our diagnosis. We're not our achievements. We're not our mistakes. Because who we are at the core of our being has nothing to do with us. And it has everything to do with the reality that Jesus delights in each one of us and that he died to set us free. It is finished. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. And that's why spiritual growth is not primarily a race or a hustle where we spend our life chasing after God. No, the good news of the Christian gospel is that God is chasing after us. And it's his pursuit of us. It's his love for us. It is that and nothing else that makes us valuable. And so how on earth do we seek a God who is always chasing us. Only the heart can answer that riddle, and in the next episode, we'll at least give it a try.